So I mentioned before that we are quickly approaching the end of the vault list. We're getting down to the last few vaults here. And this episode is it. I started this a year and four months ago, going over all the different vaults. This isn't the end of the show. This isn't a, this is a show, the show's over kind of conversation. This is the conversation about this is the last episode about specific vaults. Well, at least of the mainline vaults. There's some other vaults. So maybe there'll be another episode in the future about vaults. But this is it. This is it. The, these last two vaults, Vault 14 and Vault 18, wrap up what I was going to start a year and four months ago as a little mini in-between episodes kind of thing. And then they, they kind of grew into regular episodes. <laughs> So this week, we've got Vault 14 and Vault 18. And what I'm going to say about this is that these are vaults for the affluent, for society's upper crust, let's say. And most of us are not that. In fact, probably all of us are not that. So good for us for being hardworking regular people, I guess you could say. But, you know, the affluent, the wealthy, they need their special things sometimes, right? They need a special place in the world. They need to feel like they're better than the rest of us. Well, so, some of them. Not, uh, not all of them. Some of them. Uh, that's, I don't want to whitewash it too much. Um, this isn't class warfare or anything. But there's, you know, y you know how that stuff goes. They've got the money. They want to put it into a special vault. They don't want to just survive the, the wasteland, the, the apocalypse, the, the nukes. They want to survive it in style. And they want to make sure that they maintain that power and that wealth and that authority. Because that's what they're used to, right? I mean, wouldn't you? It's just kind of human nature. You feel like you get to this certain place in, in your life where you've been successful where you've earned a lot of money, you have a certain amount of recognition and power, you want to keep that. It makes sense. We'd all want that. Well, let's talk about Vault 14. We're going to start out with Vault 14, and Vault 14 is from Fallout 4. And it says here in the FalloutGamepedia.com article, which is moving, it's being consolidated, and, and I don't think all the text is being consolidated with it because I prefer this description that I found here on this one. And it says, Vault 114 is one of the vaults constructed by vault Tech Corporation and is located in Boston, Massachusetts. Yep, Boston, Massachusetts, Fallout 4. And there's only so much information about this one, and there's only so much information about 118. That's why I've grouped them together into this episode. And it says here that before the war, Vault Tech Industries began construction of Vault 114 inside Boston's Park Street subway station as a cost cutting measure. However, the project was never completed due to Vault Tech 
contracting out the construction. Those entrusted to complete this facility would never finish the job, embezzling funds. So first note here, white collar crime, embezzling funds. I, I read a statistic recently that the primary lawbreakers, uh, what was the phrase that they used? Most, the majority of laws broken in this country are by business owners and businesses. It's not street crime. It's not drug addicts. It's not theft and burglar, burglary. It is white collar crime committed against their own businesses and the employees who work for those businesses. Think about that. That's, that's kind of nuts. So I don't know. That's uh, maybe that's just kind of the mood I'm in lately with the way things have been going in the country and the pandemic and stuff. So we're just going to leave that there and keep going with fallout stuff. Um, so it says those interested with the facility would never finish the job because they embezzled the funds. But this corrupt boondoggle matters little to the gangsters who have taken up residence inside the facility centuries after the Great War. As it is completed just enough. It's good enough. It's good just enough for them. And, you know, when you live in the wastelands, you kind of take what you can get, right? Now, the purpose of the vault officially was to provide safe shelter for the creme de la creme of Boston society. Assured that they would ride out the nuclear devastation in luxury. However, the truth was the opposite. Vault Tech set up an experiment where 120 formerly affluent residents would be placed in conditions typical of poor housing, multiple families per room, lack of amenities, etc., with an anti authority overseer chosen from the public all in order to study the human reaction to stress. The vault was never used and remained in its incomplete condition until the 23rd century. It's a mystery what happened to the vault's previous inhabitants, but when a band of small-time crooks from Good Neighbor were muscled out of the old neighborhood by bigger players, Skinny Malone's band of Triggermen, I think you might remember those guys from Fallout 4, they claimed it as their own. Although this is a perfect hideout for a band of criminals, they were finally undone when the gang held Nick Valentine hostage and were subsequently slaughtered during his rescue. Congratulations on rescuing Nick Valentine. So you will remember this vault from that event in the game because chances are you, you played through that part of it. If you played through any of it, you, you at least got that far. I would, I would hope. I would hope you'd play that far. If you haven't, play Fallout 4. Get through those quests. Go do it. So, so this, think about this. You have the creme de la creme, the upper crust of Boston's elite expecting to live in a wonderful vault that they've paid good money for, and then having to spend time in multifamily rooms without any amenities. Can you imagine the fallout from that? And excuse the pun, the fallout from that. Can you imagine? I, it takes a certain type of person growing up in a certain kind of condition to learn how to adapt to living in close proximity to other people. This is what we're going through right now. In some cases, we are living on top of ourselves in this 
coronavirus situation where we're all spending more time at home, we're all spending more time around our family members than many people really want to do. Let's be honest. Some people, that's a problem. And imagine if you lived in a place with multiple families, and maybe some of you do. This isn't, this isn't a thing that, that is odd. This is very common, even in you know, our world today. Like, how many of us are homeowners? I didn't own, own a home until I was in my 30s. And that's a statistic that is actually I'm I'm in the minority there of people my age group to be able to own a home at that point in my life. And it's because my wife and I have a steady marriage, we both are gainfully employed, we are both college educated, and we are able to make that kind of financial investment. Now, it wasn't a financial investment that was you know, impressive by any means. We bought the cheapest place we possibly could that met our bare minimum standards of needs. But in that, in those cases, like what if, what if one or both of us were unemployed or we didn't make us good money and we needed to live with extended family in order to make it work? That happens a lot. That happens all the time. Now imagine being a regular person, a regular quote, regular person, a say, you know, middle class, regular person who isn't the upper crust of society and growing up in an environment like that. Eventually, you kind of you kind of learn to, to live with that. We acclimate. That's what we do. That's what human beings do. But when you are used to having lots of space in your own areas and privacy and your own comfortable bed and your own things and people who don't just come into your space at any moment and interrupt what you're doing, that becomes very, very uncomfortable because we get used to things. We get used to how things are. And then we have basic expectations. And when those expectations change, they make life more difficult for us. We don't like to have to give things up. We don't like to have to make room for other people. We like having things our way, don't we? So there are some holotapes that show some of the interviews. And one of the things that's most interesting about this is it talks about how the overseer was chosen from the public. And I'm going to read these conversations because these are really good. So there are three interviews with potential overseers that show up on holotapes. And the first one is number 03, and it says, This is vault Tech Interview 03 for the position of overseer for Vault 114. Interview subject, Benjamin Beasley. Mr. Beasley, as overseer of Vault 114, how would you settle a disagreement between two of your vault residents? Benjamin says, Well, I would obviously take it through the proper channels, assuming neither of their requests were against the law, of course. This is, of course, assuming that the conflict had already gone through all the other members of the Vault Residence Council that I am planning on organizing. The interviewer says, Vault Residence Council, you say? Benjamin, yes, of course. People need government. They yearn for it. I think it's the civic duty of every red-blooded American patriot to serve. The interviewer interrupts, yes, I think we have everything we need here. Thank you for your time. Benjamin, oh, already? Well, I look forward to hearing from you soon. Interviewer, yes, I'm sure you will. Please make sure to fill out your non-disclosure agreement 
on your way out. And then interview number 21 says, and the inter interviewer starts again. This is Vault Tech interview 21 for the position of overseer for Vault 114. Interview subject, Kimberly Weiss. Hello, Mrs. Weiss. Kimberly, how do you do? And may I just say, what an honor it is to be even considered for the position of overseer. Ever since I was a little girl in mock government, I dreamed that one day I would have the opportunity to lead a community to greatness. My teachers all told me I had leadership potential, and without my guidance as student council vice president, those bake sales surely would have failed. Just the thought of being able to organize and run this small group to show them a better way, to lead them to a future so bright interviewer my goodness looks like we're out of time kimberly what we just started interviewer yes yes thank you if you could just send the next candidate in as you leave kimberly oh of course did i mention i was head of my debate team interviewer i'm sure you did thank you <laughs> sigh <laughs> and then uh interview number 87 the interviewer says this is vault tech interview 87 for the position of overseer of vault 114 the candidate has refused to give his real name and has only provided the name Soup Can Harry. Soup Can Harry says, that's right. I ain't telling you nothing. My name is the name I call myself, not the rank and number the government brands on me. No, sir. <laughs> Interviewer says, fascinating, Mr. Um, Soup Can. Would you mind telling me why you're distrustful of the government? Soup Can Harry says, I've seen what they do. Gum up the works with red tape and bureaucracy. Take every hard-earned cent and use it to fund their Illuminati Freemason sex parties. I'm a free man. I should be able to live as I see fit. My taxes pay for them streets and alleys and dumpsters. I'll sleep where I want. Interviewer, sure. According to this, you haven't paid taxes in many years. Soup can Harry. I see the back of them Abraxo boxes. Quote, not for consumption. Don't tell me what to do. I'll eat what I want. Abraxo <laughs> boxes. The interviewer says, sir. You may just be the perfect candidate. How would you like to be the new overseer of Vault 114? Soup Can Harry. I ain't wearing no goddamn tie or pants. <laughs> so good. So, yes, those are the candidates that we have on record. And it looks like they got all the way to candidate number 87 before they found the perfect candidate. So, there you go. How'd you like to live under Soup Can Harry as a formerly upper crust member of Boston society? Hello chap. Good to see another of General Atomic's finest still eager to serve. Hey there, friends. This is your host, Tom or Robots, coming back again with some more fun information, just in case you missed it. The episode of the Fallout Hub that we did where we interviewed Pete Hines and Oxhorn and Juicehead is now out everywhere. And also, there's a video version, so if for some reason you didn't see the announcements and you didn't get to check out the live stream or the release day uh, that we just had on YouTube, go to Chad, a Fallout 76 podcast's website, or not, well, you, you can check out the website. Go to their YouTube channel and you can check out the video, which has our little faces all on the screen and lots of cool editing stuff, and we do the Fallout feud game show with them and we interview pete and oxhorn and juice head we got a bunch of questions asked and that kind of thing go check that out it is super good and thank you to everyone who has checked out that episode for all of your positivity and all of this community is amazing so thank you to everybody 
being so awesome, being so positive and enjoying the content that we're putting out there. Really, really do appreciate it. The only other thing I wanted to note in the middle of this episode is that I forgot to announce publicly that the Patreon hits our 300, we're, we're not like $370 um, a month goal. So we passed the 300 amount, which is a big deal. And we're really close to even getting to the $400 amount. And that means every time we hit a new $100 amount, we are doing a giveaway and all of the patrons get put into a pot. And depending on the tier that you're at, you get into the giveaway, you get more entries into the giveaway. And this month's winner, well, this month's winner, this, uh, the winner for the $300 amount, uh, giveaway. So they have some t-shirts, some stickers. Uh, the winner is Aperture Flash, who you will recognize from the tier four patron episodes at the end of every month. So very cool. Also, Aperture Flash sent me his recording for the last episode that he missed talking about his uh, favorite Fallout game and why. And that's going to be plugged in at the end of this episode. So stay tuned to the end and listen to Aperture talk about his favorite Fallout. I think that's about it. Oh, uh, one other thing. I, I, I said there was only one other thing, but one other thing still under the three, three minute mark here. I've been streaming more on Twitch again, playing a lot of Wastelanders, having a lot of fun. And you guys have been coming out and hanging out with me. That has been so much fun. I'm glad I'm doing it again. I'm going to try to make it more of a priority. I know sometimes it slips with other things that I'm doing, but I'm trying to do it more often. And most likely it will be in the evenings after about 930 p.m. Eastern, 6.30 p.m. Pacific time. So that's twitch.tv slash robots radio. And now let's get back to the rest of the episode. Talk to you guys later. Well, just after this, I guess. See ya. All right. So everybody knows how VPN services and ExpressVPN can protect your privacy and security online, right? But did you know that there are some secret hidden benefits to using ExpressVPN, like unlocking movies and shows that are only available in other countries. So if you're like me, you probably enjoy watching shows on Netflix, for example. Well, with ExpressVPN, you can unlock the UK version of The Office or Parasite from South Korean Netflix, over a hundred different countries. All you have to do is change your location and refresh Netflix or whatever Hulu BBC iPlayer, YouTube, you name it. In fact, when I set it up for myself, I was surprised at how easy it was. It just installs and then loads up and works. And it works on more than just PCs, phones, media consoles, smart TVs, and so much more. So if you want to access hundreds of new shows, use my link right now, expressvpn.com slash falloutlore, and you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. That's expressvpn.com slash falloutlore expressvpn.com slash falloutlore to learn more. If you have any questions about Nuka World, I'd be delighted to answer them. So let's move on to Vault 118. And there's a quote at the top of this wiki article from the overseer that says, Oh God, it's been weeks now, and I realize today that I've become the test subject. Instead of testing the social interactions between locals and this group of rich assholes, it's just me trapped in here with them. They're going to live forever, and I have to deal with them for the rest of my life. So Vault 18 is also, as this overseer puts it, about rich assholes, um, but is slightly different. So let's dig into this one. Uh, of course, it was constructed by Vault Tech Corporation, and it is located beneath Cliff's Edge Hotel on Mount Desert Island. 
Buried beneath the Cliff's Edge Hotel, Vault 118 was designed to function as an ultra-elite hotel to attract test subjects of appropriate wealth and status. It was a clandestine area of the hotel to ensure that individuals drawn to privilege and exclusivity would be present. The original plan called for making the vault open to the public when the activation notice was sent out in the event of the Great War and selected from the local working class population. These subjects would be taken through the exclusive areas of the vault on entry, but thereafter confined to a cramped second wing. The vault would remain sealed until test results could be determined. The test group would include 10 ultra-rich with every desire tended to by a robotic staff and placed above all legal restrictions in their interactions with the second group. Numbering up to 300 people sequestered in uncomfortable, cramped conditions in the second wing. Any breach of ethics would be judged by the rich and any judgment enacted by the robotic staff. This classic setup was turned on its head when progress on construction of the second wing of the vault completely stalled. Once the premier area of the vault was completed, funding was cut off. Ezra Parker, the key financer, simply pulled the plug, covering up with a story about trouble extracting payments from invited guests. Sure sounds like something was going on there, huh? Just kind of similar to Vault 114. So it goes on and says, Secondly, one of the subjects from Test Group A, the Rich, was a researcher for General Atomics on the Advanced Robotics Program. Interesting. He and his wife had convinced the other group members of Group A that with the international situation becoming tense, their best chance to outlast the war was to have their brains inserted into robo-brains. Call back to the robo-brain episode, A Living Hell, as I named it. Think about how that may have turned out. When the Great War came around, the vault was sealed. No outside persons were admitted as the security protocols were taken over by the robo-brains and the overseer became the sole remaining human inside. The sole test subject in a vault full of mad robo-brains. The robo-brains continued to exist in isolation from the outside world until a murder forced them to seek outside help. A detective. I wonder which detective that was. So now you have a situation where <laughs> you have a bunch of extremely wealthy people who decide that the best way to survive in perpetuity, that's a good word, was to extract their brains and put it into put them into robots because they didn't think that their human selves would live that long i don't know or maybe they just didn't expect to be able to provide for their physical bodies without a lower class of people living in the second wing of a, of a vault that's that are taking care of them so they decided to just put their brains in robots in order to preserve themselves maybe that was it i don't know but the other thing that this makes me think about is the craziness that is happening among some of the speculation around the ultra wealthy and advances in our own medical things that we're developing, basically. The idea here is, and I've only heard a little bit of speculation about this, that 
some of the reason why the certain politicians and and, and this might be a conspiracy thing so uh, take it take it v- very lightly that I, I this is not necessarily something i believe in i'm just sharing that i've heard this but the certain people who are among the top of the top the cr- top crust of the top crust are not believing that they are going to actually die maybe that's not the best way to phrase that they believe that there will be medical technology within their lifetimes which seems crazy that will preserve their ability to live indefinitely and that the that's what the true value of trying to amass so much wealth is all about is keeping them from death and i don't know about you but when i think about stories of powerful people trying to survive indefinitely trying to beat death all i can think about are things like star wars or the liches of fantasy games that turn into these evil things as they get older and older and this isn't initially where i intended this episode to go but i'm gonna riff on it anyway because it makes sense the idea that you could live forever seems terrifying. Can you imagine? Can you imagine living forever? I mean, at what point do you just kind of have done everything and you feel kind of like, well, what's left to do? Or at what point do you no longer identify with other humans because you are in some way different from them because you're able to keep surviving and you know that they can't. Does that create a divide? Does that create a us versus them kind of thing going on? And think of it this this way. If you are able to survive indefinitely based on medical procedures that can give that to you, then what do you do to avoid damage to your body? Do you go insane and just don't go outdoors anymore? Because you might get in a car wreck. (laughs) There are all sorts of things that this, this changes. Not only that, but are we really that far along medically to be able to offer that kind of solution? I talked about it on a previous episode. There are, there are people who are freezing their bodies and freezing their brains for a time when they think that they're going to be able to be reinstated into some sort of living format whatever that might be that seems crazy enough but this idea that this body that i'm in right now is just going to keep on working i mean how does how does that even make sense it's not going to get younger i mean if you were to let, let, let's let's play with this a little bit if you were to reduce the aging of the body, then your body stays the age you were when that aging was reduced. So think of it this way. Maybe you don't get more wrinkles on your face. Maybe your, your bones and your muscles don't atrophy any. Uh, but you, you just kind of maintain the same age. And what if you're like 70 when this happens? Are you comfortable looking like you're 70 for the rest of your life? Do you get a bunch of cosmetic surgery in order to try to look younger, even though you physically can't and you end up looking like some sort of I don't know, horror show 
of, you know, stretched face and, and crazy looking, I don't know, body inserts. Like, how does that work? That doesn't make any sense. None of this sounds particularly pleasant or good. And it's all because of a fear of death. I don't know. Seems a bit crazy. I know I've kind of gone off the deep end of this episode a little bit, but I hope you guys enjoy some of the, uh, the ranting and speculation here. So I'm going to wrap it up. Stay tuned for Aperture Flash's story about his favorite Fallout game. And I hope you guys enjoy that as well. And until next week, uh, try not to end up in a vault where you're either a rich person or not a rich person. I don't know. I don't know how to wrap this up. This episode has been crazy. I hope you guys enjoyed it. All right. I'll see you out there in on the internet and on the discord and maybe chat with you on Twitch and stuff. And until next time, stay safe. I will talk to you guys later. Bye. Hello, Vault Dwellers, Wastelanders, and people listening to this from the future. It's your favorite caravanner, Aperture Flash, coming to you once again, almost live, from the back of my truck. I apologize for not making it to the most recent Patreon episode, and how long it's taken me to get this out. Sadly, things have been crazy for me, and that particular night, I was wiped out from the road, and I wouldn't even consider coming on to all of you good people out there in podcast land if I wasn't bringing my A-game. The topic discussed was favorite Fallout game. And, frankly, I am disappointed that the greatest Fallout title was not even mentioned. How can you all ignore the stellar plot, incredible storytelling, daring new graphics, and completely intuitive gameplay? Hell, it's the least buggy Bethesda title out there. I am, of course, talking about the 2015 smash hit Fallout Shelter. With a simple design, it managed to take the most beloved aspect of any game ever, the settlement building, of course, and simplify it. So we didn't need to sort through dozens of settlement options before finding the absolute right one, and no struggling to make sure everything lines up just so. And if you really listen closely, you will all hear that even right now as I record this in the background, I am just messing with all of you. Thank you for, part for participating in this vault tech experiment. <laughs> now, my personal fallout is uh, my personal favorite fallout, unsurprisingly, is Fallout New Vegas. We'll circle around back to that. My obsession with Fallout started roughly eight years ago with a fan fiction, believe it or not. And uh, no, I will not name which one it is, only because I can already hear Firewriter groaning from here. Sorry, Fire. Love ya. <clears throat> After reading this well-written epic, I picked up a used copy of Fallout 3, Game of the Year edition, for the PS3. I played through it, not really understanding the concept of DLC, so I actually thought that the whackers, wacky adventures in the pit and Point Lookout were part of the base game. From there, I bootlegged a zip file with Fallout1.exe and Fallout2.exe in it. There were a bunch of other files, but I wasn't sure what those did, so I ignored them. <clears throat> I had to read up a bit on them, and I was sort of prepared for the, ch uh, the change in playstyle. Playing mostly at night and on the weekend, I managed to almost make it one play. I almost 
I managed to almost make it one playthrough all the way through of Fallout 1, and then rage quit when I learned that the vault had actually run out of water, and I had lost the game. I... After that, I forgot about it for a month, and then when I fired it up again, I made partway through Fallout 2 before going out and buying Fallout New Vegas Special Edition. My life got busy, and my time for video games went down, so I only made it to Novak, and slowly. Then, unfortunately, my life kind of fell apart. It wasn't a great time for me. Uh, I won't go into too many details, but my family went completely bankrupt and we were left in financial ruin. We lost pretty much everything. Uh, I had been saving up for a new car, and I had about $2,000 in the bank at that point. <laughs> I was uh, actually homeless for about a week there before moving in with my uncle for a few months and then uh, getting an apartment with my cousin in the big city of Toronto. Work was hard to find for an amateur photographer whose only job experience was a line cook without a reference and a small-town pet shop. I bounced from job to job, barely making rent, before finally settling on the steadiest work I could find, the night shift baker at Tim Hortons. It wasn't a great time. I was depressed, and more often than not, drunk. I can't exactly remember when I fired Fallout back up. I think it was after my Red Dead Redemption save got corrupted. But I got back into it. Due to the nocturnal nature of my work, uh, winter was hard. I would regularly go a week uh, where the only sunlight I saw was the blue skies and unrelenting heat of the Mojave wasteland. I've got no real way to sugarcoat my story. I was unhappy and more often than not, I was alone. So I would explore the wastes. I think it's safe to say my spurs went jingle jangle jingle uh, across every mile of that every mile of that wasteland, fighting off monstrosities and learning every secret secret the desert had to offer. It was starting to get to a point where there was uh, actually too much information on my save files, and the game would just crash just before the Battle of Hoover Dam. So if I planned to finish a particular save file, I would have to slim it down and stick to mostly only story missions for one particular faction. The humor, the in-depth storytelling, and the fleshed-out characters sucked me in and helped me feel a little bit more at home. The game helped me feel a little less alone in one of the darkest times in my life, and for that reason, Fallout New Vegas is by far my favorite Fallout. I still remember the day that I learned Fallout 4 had been announced. I was sitting on the streetcar home, and uh, that day I actually started putting money aside for a PS4. <laughs> uh, I got the PS4, and for a while there, the only game I had for it was the Mad Max video game, which is actually a pretty good game if you want to check it out. Um, I missed the first run of the Pip-Boy editions but I managed to grab a second one when they did that quick release. I remember then they were selling out in like a matter of hours. Um, the second run was a US release only, so <laughs> I sent, <laughs> I put in the shipping address as a buddy's parents uh, house in Ohio 
and then called him up and told him my plan. Uh, <laughs> I got it. I had to wait a little bit longer, but I got it. My life has uh, considerably improved since all of this went down, I'm happy to say. But when I hear those old songs come on, it always reminds me of the struggle and how I got through it all. And frankly, I wouldn't trade my time in the Mojave Wastes for anything. And that is why Fallout New Vegas is my favorite Fallout. <clears throat> Tom, if I may step up on the Abraxo box here for a second, I would like to address everyone. <clears throat> Times are tough right now, and we're all in this together. I want to thank each and every one of you for what we are all doing in this hellish Vault-Tec experiment we call 2020. Whether you are a medical worker on the front lines, a delivery driver keeping people fed, a first responder, a worker keeping groceries on the shelves, an artist or entertainer producing content to help keep all us people sane, or even someone who is home right now with cancelled plans and work closed, unsure about your future situation, and you're staying home to help flatten the curve, I want to say one thing to all of you. Thank you. We are all in this together. And if we keep following advice from the health community, and we keep being good to one another, we will all get through this, together. Thanks for listening to the Fallout Lorecast. All sounds and music are owned by Bethesda Softworks, and no copyright infringement is intended. If you have something you'd like to contribute to the show, please contact us at falloutlorecast at gmail.com or follow us and post some messages to us on Twitter at falloutlorecast. And if you'd like to support the show, tell a friend or check out the rewards you can get for becoming a patron at patreon.com slash falloutlorecast. I really appreciate you listening and I'd love to hear from you soon. 